song should have got a woo. So, uh, great week. The old Beijing Olympics, except there was one large cloud over the whole thing. And it, it, some people it's surprising, and other people you're like, you know, they used to be Russia, and now the, they're the Russian Olympic Committee because they've been cheating. And I know some people say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Ricky Bobby's dad would tell us, if you're not first, you're last. So I understand the idea that, that the ROC has that, that we're going to cheat at all costs in order to, you know, win gold medals. And, and so you're like, what are you even talking about? The best figure skater in the world is from Russia. She's 15. And uh, throughout her training, she's been fed a cocktail of illegal drugs that she doesn't need in order for her to become even better. And so there was grand controversy. And I know we're not surprised because if you remember back to the 1988 Olympics when Ben Johnson defeats Carl Lewis and we're like, how could Carl Lewis lose to Ben Johnson? You're like, well, he was cheating. Lance Armstrong, all those years of winning the Tour de France, cheating. Cheating, cheating, cheating. We have this desire to try to cheat in order to win because we have to win at all costs, except when it costs the life of a 15-year-old girl who will never be the same. I mean, how about that gold medal curling match yesterday? <laughs> they got to go to extra ends. Sweden, Germany, or Sweden and Great Britain. You're like, Eric, we don't care. <laughs> My family says the same thing. Like, seriously, can we just be done with the Olympics? Well, it's over. It's done. We are moving on. What we have been in uh, for what, well, since the last Olympics, is the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we have been in Hebrews since the last Olympics. For those of you who haven't been around, it's on page 1007 in the Blue Bible. This letter has uh, been written to uh, Jewish Christians who have converted to Christianity and are are trying to be spurred on in their faith. And we're all the way in chapter 11, and we were talking about faith last week. And so now we get to go into uh, some examples of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable, verse 4, chapter 11. By faith, God offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we get these three individuals, these three characters, uh, as examples of faith. Well, for those of you who are unfamiliar, we go all the way back. We go so far back. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And Adam and Eve have just, have just been kicked out of the garden, Genesis being the first book in the Bible. 
Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. And we're told that they have two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain is the older and Abel is the younger. Cain is a man of the field and Abel is a man of, uh, of the flocks. And so they make these offerings to God and God seems to care more about Abel's offer than he does about Cain. And before you meat eaters <laughs> say, well, yeah, that's obviously... You don't offer God a bunch of vegetables and think that he's going to like that more. Not true. God loves vegetables too, okay? I don't, but he does. And I love this line in Genesis 4. God says to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? It's a little bit like when you say to your spouse or your child, why are you so crabby? I wasn't crabby, but now I am. So what does Cain do? He's so upset because God has, has seen that his sacrifice is less than his brother's. And so what does Cain do? He kills his brother. <laughs> and God shows back up and he asks Cain in verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain's response is, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so here the writer of Hebrews tells us about Abel's faith. And how because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, he is held up of this person of great faith. The challenge is, what does he get? (laughs) Abel gets murdered. Abel receives murder for the faith that he has in God. This past uh, October, I was at this pastor's conference in Chicago. Gregory Thompson, speaking on this passage, says, Threat led to resentment. Resentment led to violence. Violence led to eraser. Cain was the first practitioner of violence and the first practitioner of violent memory. He sought to create a new reality in which his brother was forgotten. But God is a God of remembering. So about 10 years ago, Nikki and I moved into our current house, and I wish all of you have, would have had an opportunity to see it at this point because this would make so much more sense, but we did all this remodeling. And, and in the entryway, it was built in the 70s, and the entryway, there was this peculiar switch, light switch. It was a four-way switch, and I wanted to take it to a, a two-way switch. And I'm not an electrician, but I'm like, ah, between YouTube and my ingenuity, we can figure this out. Except I couldn't figure it out. And so now this one switch, when you flip it, it trips the breaker. And you're like, well, it's been 10 years. Couldn't you hire an electrician? (laughs) I mean, you've tried to find work around here, help around here. It's been 10 years. Uh, But it's fixed. It was fixed when I put a piece of tape over it so that you don't flip the switch. (laughs) Except it's not fixed. Neither is my yellow toilet in the 
laundry room. It's leaking. It's running. So rather than fix it, we just turn it off. <laughs> and you laugh because you know you do the same thing. This Cain and Abel story is a bit like the light switch that exists within the house of God. And as we've been walking through the Ephesian, book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights, Paul uses this imagery to talk about uh, the people of God, the family of God, the, the church as a structure or as a body. And as we look at the violence against an innocent person at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we're struck with the reality of the violent history that we live in. And, and to be a follower of Christ means that we care greatly about accurate history. And we know that over 4,000 people of color were lynched in the U.S. between the end of the Civil War and the 1960s. And it's easy for us to dismiss this as, well, that, that's the problem of the world, that's an evil problem, except, except when you read the words of Georgia Methodist Bishop Atticus Haygood. In 1893, he said, Nowadays, it seems the killing of Negroes is not so extraordinary an occurrence as to need an explanation. It has become so common that it no longer surprises. We read such things as we read of fires that burn a cabin or a town. And if we are the church... and the church is a body, then our body was not only complicit, but at times perpetuating violence against innocent people throughout history. And we know because God tells us that the blood of the innocent cries out to him from the ground at the very beginning of this book that we call the Bible, that God weeps, God hurts with those who hurt. He calls those who will be his followers, to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and to go to the, the innocent, to go to the downtrodden, to go to the people that are being inflicted with violence and certainly to not perpetuate violence. And before we say, well, that's a problem of the South, it was June 15th in 1920 that Elias Clayton, Elmer Jackson, and Isaac McGee were pulled out of a Duluth jail and hung. Duluth, Minnesota. And 95 years almost to the day, Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, Debane Middleton, Tawanza Sanders, Daniel Simons, Sharonda Coleman-Singleton, and Myra Thompson we're meeting for Bible study at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Where I stood in October. And a young man thought that it was his responsibility. A follower of Jesus Christ is what he declared himself and he went in and he murdered these people. This was less than seven years ago. And God weeps when the innocent are killed. And 
Abel was killed by his brother and God weeps. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Abel's voice is still speaking to us. And I know. We're like, I'm so tired of talking about this. And we say that from this place of great privilege where we don't have to deal with it. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, ah! Cramp. You ever just tell your cramp, your hand says to your cramp, deal with it, man. You ever peel back your fingernail? Ugh. And your mouth says to your finger, deal with the pain. It's not my problem because I'm the mouth. <laughs> no, you're like, mm. And if we are the body of Christ and part of the body is hurting, then we as the body need to surround the hurting part of the body to bring about healing. And if the voice of Abel is still speaking to God, it's still speaking to us. And if we are going to identify as people of faith, then we need to listen to the voice of Abel. And I know we're like, seriously, why are we talking about this? But this isn't about sides. This is about who is our Savior. This isn't about politics. This is about being the people of God. And I know, for so long, we just treat it like the light switch. We just put some tape over it. Just, yeah, just, it's all the way in the basement. We just... We got other bathrooms we can use. We got other toilets. We got outside. I go in back, Alex, so you guys don't see me, my neighbor across the street. Don't want him to see if I'm ever using the bathroom outside. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just reference Abel's blood here, he does it again in chapter 12. And I know numbers are statistics, but names are stories. That we should listen to the voices of the past, like Frederick Douglass and Ida B. Wells, James Baldwin and James Cone. Voices of the present, like Dante Stewart and Charlie Dates, Esau McCauley and Austin Channing Brown, Christian Smith and Love Seacrest. These are not voices from the outside. These are voices of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are calling us forward to be the body, to be the people of faith, to hear the cries of the blood of the innocent that God is hearing. And the faith of Abel gets him murdered. And before we get too excited about justice in violence, God tells anyone who does violence to Cain will experience violence sevenfold. So God not only cares about the victim, he cares about the perpetrator or the perpetrator in all situations. As John talked about a few weeks ago, the importance of compassion on all accounts, not just on those who experience things. And then the writer goes on and talks about Enoch. You're like, who? 
And we're reminded that the writer of Hebrews loves to just bring up rando characters of the Bible. You're like, who is Enoch? Like, why did we not know this story? Because it's a blip. It's a blip between Cain and Abel and Noah's Ark, in which we get this very obscure reference that Enoch walked with God. And then Enoch was no more. <laughs> like, what? Wait, what just happened? Enoch is living with God. He has a couple kids. He's like in his 600s. And then God just raptures him out. <laughs> this is like way before Jerry Jenkins ever made millions of dollars on Left Behind. <laughs> it's like, wait, where'd Enoch go? He gone. I mean, what would his family have thought? Like, where's dad? I don't know. He's just gone. <laughs> and the writer of Hebrews tells us that Enoch, because of his faith, God was like, you know what? Why don't you just come hang out with me? <laughs> like, forget this earth thing. You're good. I mean, if you've lived 650 plus years, you're probably ready to leave. And we scratch our heads and we say, what, what is the writer of Hebrews doing? Well, part of it is they're illustrating that, that Abel's faith gets him murdered and Enoch's faith allows him to escape death. He doesn't have to experience death. Like, I'll take the Enoch version. And it's this mystery around what is faith and how does faith get lived out and, and what do I reap from the faith that I experience or that I live out in my life? And we get this a little aside. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So how do we do this? How do we draw near to God? Well, it starts with belief in God, as the writer says, and, and then it's this active lifestyle of pursuing God. And the challenge becomes, so often we, we fall into this trap of performative faith, and we fall into this dutiful obedience to policies and procedures as it relates to getting into heaven, <laughs> Certainly we don't describe it like that. Only weird pastors like myself describe it like that. But we develop this performative posture where, where the quality of our relationship with God is dependent on how many things we're doing. Well, I read my Bible today, then I, then I prayed for 15 minutes, and, and, and then I... Uh, then I open the door for that person. So I'm doing pretty good today. But when performance becomes the measure, we know that God isn't interested. Because Cain and Abel offered the same thing. Well, actually, Abel offered a T-bone and Cain offered a salad. But that's, you know, again, we're, we're not talking about dietary things of God. The sacrifices weren't even required of them. This is like way before we get any sort of Jewish 
uh, law around sacrificial systems. But Abel's posture in coming to God is what is rewarded, not what he brings to God. Likewise, Enoch walks with God, and it's not even about what he's doing. It's that his desire is to be with God. And and as Amy mentioned, Lent is coming uh, right around the corner. And so I put together this Lenten Practices Spiritual Discipline book with the help of our great Christy Ramler. And, And it's not meant for us to earn more jewels in our crown in heaven. Anytime we engage with spiritual disciplines, it's to draw us closer to the heart of God. And I've said this before. God doesn't care if we come to church and then we live the rest of our life as if he's not important to us. God isn't concerned with the performance of our lives. He's concerned with the posture of our heart. And yes, what we do matters. But if we draw close to God, as Enoch did, if we have a posture like Abel does to God, everything else will just fall into place. Because when we are near God, we experience the heart of God. And this isn't a Malcolm Gladwell, Justin Bieber, 10,000 hour, which is a myth, challenge. God is not something to be mastered. And I understand it was a few years ago, I broke my leg skiing, and you're like, when did you break your leg? I didn't even know it was broken because I didn't go to the doctor. I know, brilliant. But now I'm going through this, re- this rehabilitation process, and I've been doing my stretches for, for 12 days. I'm like, I haven't gotten any better. <laughs> quit. I should just quit. Like, well, you spent three years not doing anything. <laughs> It's going to take more than three weeks to fix it. Engaging and drawing near to God isn't about performance. It's about posture. And then the writer says, oh yeah, and by the way, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And if you're unfamiliar with the Noah and the ark story, imagine someone living in Lawrence, Kansas, says, let's round up all the gopher barky uh, that's in the area, which there probably isn't a lot in Lawrence, Kansas, because we've cut down all those trees. Because it's going to start raining eventually. I mean, imagine the ridicule that Noah would have experienced. Like, what? (laughs) You're building this boat in the middle of nowhere. For what? Well, trust me, as most weather people would say, just trust me. The storm is coming. And as we know, sometimes the storm does actually come. (laughs) Hashtag 2016. Noah could not see the rain clouds He could not see the floodwaters, and yet he became obedient to God, and he was saved. An heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All three of these individuals were not Jews. All three of these individuals were not Christians. 
All three of these individuals demonstrated extreme faith in a God that they could not see, but had a relationship with. And all three of them experienced different outcomes. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the audience then and us today to have this posture of faith. There's no amount of performance-enhancing anything that's going to get us closer to God or have more faith in who God is or get us a better posture. As Martin Luther King sat in the Birmingham jail, he wrote this letter to his fellow Christians talking about the early church. He says, in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Then he says this. Funny, this doesn't often get quoted from Martin Luther King Jr. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. God desires for his body to be his body. And his body lives by faith, entering into these circumstances where where it seems like the whole world is like, this is so bizarre. And yet, by faith, we move forward with the promise of God saying, I know, I know it feels like the whole world is against you. I know it feels like those around you think that, that, you, are, that you are deranged. And yet the voice of Abel cries out from the ground saying, we, the body of Christ, draw near to who God is. No matter what, seeking to care for the body and to live by a faith that is so countercultural and so counterworldly that we construct a faith in the middle of of a dry desert, knowing that the flood is going to come. Believing that God is who he says he is. Trusting, trusting, trusting every day. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning looking at this ancient text going all the way back to the beginning, asking, Holy Spirit, what it is that you desire from us as we hear the words of the writer of Hebrews drawing on stories of old, stories of faith. Holy Spirit, may we draw near to you. May we 
hear the voices as the Father desires us to care about the things that he cares about. Not caring about the voices of the naysayers of the world. Pressing in. Pressing in to a relationship with a crucified Savior who the world despised and rejected and who God raised on the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to please stand.